everybody. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Black Wine Stories. Um, super, super excited to have as our first guest, Dr. Monique Bell. Um, she is a professor at Fresno State and also author of Terroir Noir. That is such a tongue twister. <laughs> um, which took a look uh, recently at um, the experiences of Black wine entrepreneurs. So we are going to dig into all of that. But first, we want to get to know you. We want to hear your story. So sure. Tell us a little bit about your your first experience with wine that you can remember, your very first experience? Mm. Um, I don't have to say probably in college um, at Morgan State in Baltimore, um, where I attended undergrad. Um, I have to say it was probably there and we probably thought we were being so fancy by having Arbor Mist or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I graduated from the MD 2020 and we're now a little fancier with the Arbor Mist. So um, I think that was probably, you know, my first introduction to a wine-like drink. <laughs> I don't know if that even classifies as wine, but um, Definitely. Yeah, yeah, that was probably my first experience. I did, you know, growing up, see my parents or other people drink wine on occasion, but it was a rarity. It was something like more of a special occasion or dining out. Um, it wasn't something that was really a part of, you know, everyday life. So, yeah, I think that's started and it just graduated from there. Um, as I, I began to work in, you know, corporate America and traveled a bit more, I kind of just elevated more and more from that point on. So, did you like the Arbor Mix? Like, were you a fan of let me, let me do this again? Yeah. 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 I still have a very a sweet tooth. Um, so I'm, I'm into it still, probably, I would probably enjoy it still today. Um, but yeah, and I think that's what it should be about. It's what, what do you enjoy? You know, what goes with whatever mood you're trying to set? Um, I just hope we can get away from some of this pretense that we have, you know, about wine and just enjoy it. You like what you like and that's okay. Exactly. And so you said you explored a little more, like how... Did you explore wine in your palate? Was it just kind of like as you went out or you mentioned kind of traveling for work and whatnot? Is that kind of how you kind of ran into some other other types that you liked? Yeah, I think it was definitely career related. Um, when you are, you know, working in business, there's lots of um, dinner meetings and conferences and things like that where you're able to learn from your colleagues. At least I was able to learn from my colleagues um, and be a little bit more adventurous and, you know, try some different wines. Uh, even with those experiences, though, I I still am really a new baby, just learning more and more every day. And I think that's the fun of it, is that you'll never know everything. Anyone who calls themselves an expert um, is really kind of fooling themselves, probably, because there's just, it's... Um, it's impossible to know everything. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. I feel like there are like new things coming out all the time. Mm -hmm. so even if, I mean, which the wine industry probably has this kind of traditional kind of like it's the same thing everywhere type of feel, but 
I feel like there's always something new, new to, to try. So when you were kind of exploring, you said your colleagues helped you out. Were, were they like really friendly about it? I'm like, hey, you should try this. Or did you experience some of the kind of like, oh, you're drinking that Arbor Mist? <laughs> what did you do? Um, I, I honestly can say I did not experience that with my colleagues, um, thankfully. Um, so, no, I didn't get that reception. Um, but it is, it's, it, it can be kind of intimidating, I'm sure, if maybe your colleagues aren't so friendly or, you know, you are in an outlier or an outsider, whatever the case may be, um, in your, you know, professional network. I could see how that could be intimidating. And that's why I'm so glad that things like what you're doing and what a lot of other um, underrepresented groups are doing to make it less um, less frightening, more accommodating, more open, you know, to invite more folks to the table without that fear of making a mistake. If you say it, say it wrong, you know, who cares? We've all made a mistake sometime in life. You're not fluent in French, that's okay, or German or whatever. It is, you know, I think we just have to be open-minded and welcoming. And that's the beauty of wine is what I keep going back to. It brings people together and it's not about keeping people out. It's about bringing them together and just making more room at the table. Absolutely. So say you're a newbie with the wine. Is there anything that you found that like you really like is maybe your go-to right now while you explore? Hmm. You know, I was really surprised to try Albarino, and I think it was by Clinker Brick in Lodi, um, which I now have a dear connection to Lodi and that region. Um, but their Albarino was the first that I tasted, and now I am seeking it out everywhere. Um, I just, it, it caught me by surprise. I don't know what I expected, but it just really caught me by surprise um, how much I enjoyed it. So I think that's a great drink, especially as summer approaches. Absolutely. That's what I was about to say. It's a good, like, chill, like, mm-hmm. drinking wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I, I enjoy yeah. a good wine as well. Okay. So let's, let's get to the research. So I'm a, a data nerd as well. And so when we talk about stories, I feel like, you know, we can't talk about stories about data. Data is the story that helps us kind of connect the dots. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about your research and what, what made you want to look into kind of the, the world of, like, Black people and why. Yeah. Um, I think, well, I know for certain, it was really having the pleasure of attending the Black Vines Festival in Oakland back in 2017. Um, I can't recall whether I found this event or my friends did, but somehow we wound up there and it was just amazing to me to see this ecosystem of, um, black winemakers or black, uh, negociants as well as consumers. Like I had known there was, um, a small but mighty, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, black consumer contingent when it came to wine or segment, uh, but I had no idea, um, talking about those experiences that I had working in corporate, traveling, even, you know, getting a PhD in a very international city like Philadelphia, and it had never occurred to me that there could be black 
vintners, black winemakers, negociants, people who own vineyards. Um, it just never occurred to me. So you can imagine someone who hadn't had the, you know, fortunate experiences that I had, that is probably even more of an absurdity to them to think that it's possible. And so once I was kind of awakened and enlightened to know that, yes, this is going on, this is whole ecosystem, it's possible. I kind of put it in my back pocket and said, when I had the opportunity, I'm going to research that bit more deeply. And so it was truly that experience that opened my eyes and made me even realize that this was a possibility. Um, and then it just sparked this own, my own personal curiosity and passion to learn as much as I could about it. So uh, that was really the genesis of attending that event and seeing it in person and, you know, discovering this world that I didn't know anything about. That is funny that you say that. I feel like when I started getting into wine too, there's something about that first time that you are at a wine event that it's nothing but people that look like you. It's such a, it's a little shocking, but it's also like, oh, I want more of this, or I want to understand like what this is, or I want to understand it so that there can be more of it. Yes. And um, that's why it's amazing events like like that, or even like Wine Culture Fest, anything where like we can all <laughs> gather um, and have a good time and just meet other people that are interested, whether it's other consumers or winemakers, it's so important. So that's that's interesting. That sparks kind of the, the research. Yeah. So was there any, like, what was your main research question? What was mm -hmm. it you wanted to know going into it? Yeah. Um, so because it seems so novel to me, even though I know it is, you know, it's been going on, it's a part of our heritage here in the Americas, Black people, as well as going back to Africa, wine making, wine consumption, you know, it's been a part of our heritage. We've always been there. Um, but since it was novel to me here in this current day, I first wanted to just get a baseline of like, well, how big is this? You know, how many people are there? just to get a, a foundation of, you know, what the kind of state of black wine business looked like today. Um, so that was my first initial goal was kind of just document it and, you know, say, this is where we are today. And then, you know, hopefully someone in, someone in the future would pick up the mantle and say, okay, here's where we are five years later or 10 years later. So it was kind of just that. But then on my more marketing, consumer, psychology side, of course, I was interested um, in their deeper motivations. Like, I didn't know about this. How did you know about this? You know, how did they come across um, the wine industry as a, you know, a, a venture opportunity, a career opportunity? So I wanted to dig deeper into the psychology and really understand what brought them into the industry, what challenges they faced um, from a marketing perspective, what strategies were they employing. Um, and so, yeah, all of this began in 2019. I had just achieved tenure. And so that meant I could apply for a sabbatical semester or year, depending upon what you want to do. But I opted for um, one semester which would allow me to be relieved of my teaching duties and just focus on research. And so I proposed uh, this project, this topic um, to my dean and my chair and 
you know, not really knowing because, you know, this is something novel to, again, to us, it seems novel, to the literature is definitely novel. And sometimes, just like in wine, there can be gatekeepers who kind of want to decide what decide who gets attention or what topics get noticed or, or you know, what who gets to study what. Um, so I was a little bit nervous about that, but I had recently earned tenure, as I said, and it was a, a really bubbling up a passion for me. And so I just decided to go for it. Um, and thankfully I have a supportive um, network and administration who supported it and could kind of see the vision and the worth and the value of it. So this, it sounds like the timing was kind of pre-George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, when you embarked on this. So was there anything that changed? Because I'm getting, were you still kind of collecting data around that time? Yeah, so um, I, my semester of research was fall 2020. Oh, so of course, you know, and it was, I had to apply in 2019 and wait to hear back, et cetera. So of course, no one could have predicted all that 2020 was going to bring. <laughs> um, so yeah, that added another layer of insight, asking these entrepreneurs about the impact of these deaths and the social justice protests on their business and um, it really was a double-edged sword, they went on to tell me. Um, so I did a survey as well as interviews. On the survey side, that's what the Terroir Noir report is all about, is this survey data. Um, what many people may not know is that I actually personally interviewed more than 40 Black wine entrepreneurs during that semester um, of my sabbatical. So you can do the math. 40 folks times at least 90 minutes each. It was a constant <laughs> um, information gathering. But once I started going, I just had to get more stories and I kept discovering new entrepreneurs. So I wanted to talk to this person and talk to that person. Um, but yeah, the timing of it was just, I think it had to be divine <laughs> um, because it was immediately after George Floyd's death and right in the midst of all the social justice protests and kind of this buy black and then drink black movement that began. So it allowed me to get some insights into their feelings about all of that. And then of course we had the global pandemic. So they're dealing with the emotional toll of all that's happening around Black Lives Matter. Um, at the same time, many of their businesses were actually doing a lot better than they had ever been doing because there was this buy and drink black movement. But you have to count that with a global pandemic. And so if they had a brick and mortar venture um, versus an online, there were all these complexities. So it just really made uh, for rich conversations. Sometimes they turned into, you know, <laughs> somewhat therapy sessions for each other. Um, yeah, it's wild. It's so wild and just incredible. So before we keep going, tell me what we mean by um, wine entrepreneurs. So we're not just yes. making wine makers or, or people mm -hmm. own wine like mm -hmm. labels, right? Working a little more. Right. Okay. Yeah, so I kept a really broad, wide net at first. Um, 
So wine entrepreneurs, about when it comes to my survey, about half, almost half, I think about 45% are actually winemakers or wine and owners. Another term is a negociant. Um, so that's a, almost half of the respondents to this survey did fall into what we think of um, when we talk about black wine entrepreneurs. But something that I've learned through this whole process with their, that there are importers, exporters, distributors, retailers, uh, media platforms, um, those who do wine-specific events. Um, so that kind of makes up that other half of the uh, subjects who responded to the survey. Okay. Okay. And so out of all the participants that you spoke to, was there anything that really surprised you to find out? Is there anything that was kind of a common kind of perception of the industry? Like what were some of the, the more surprising findings for you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the surprising findings from the survey um, was that a high percentage, definitely a majority, and I can get to the exact figure, um, but I think about three quarters of the respondents thought that racism was a bigger challenge in the wine industry than it was in other industries. So that there was something particular about wine as an industry, as a product category, as an environment or culture that was even more, um, you know, race focused or racist than other industries, which was kind of um, enlightening to me to, to hear that. Um, some other things from the survey, um, there's a lot of girl power going on. So a lot of the respondents, um, about 80% of the respondents, so about 80 out of 100 um, were women. And so there's a lot of girl power in the wine industry, black girl magic. Um, so that was great to see. Um, what else? Um, so yeah, from the survey, I think that would be um, some of the key findings. Of course, that access to capital was just like, you know, repeated often and often and often, even in the interviews that Having access to capital is definitely a uh, challenge, um, and it was cited as the number one challenge for their businesses in the survey. And once I got into the interviews, I was able to dig a little bit more deeply. And uh, in those conversations, there was a lot of shocking to me um, incidents that they shared with me that I could not believe, but I could believe uh, were still happening in 2022 and in a business environment um, in America. So, you know, just different instances of just blatant uh, disregard, dismissiveness, um, ignoring, confusing them for the help, um, just anything that you can think of. Um, that was really startling to hear that these folks had worked so hard that they'd invested the enormous capital that it takes to get into and stay um, with a wine enterprise. And they were still dealing with these, you know, you know, casual, I don't want to say microaggressions because they can seem pretty major <laughs> if you're experiencing them. 
Um, but so, yeah, that was startling to me and really disappointing to me that they were still facing those challenges. That's nice. And I saw in your report that I was really, really surprised when you talk about capital, that a majority of your participants, like, self-financed. I got money from my family and friends. Like, mm-hmm. even if they experienced those type of experiences while going to get capital, they were determined to make it work. And so, you know, they raised their own capital, which is is great that we still get to experience. You know, they didn't, like, let go of their dreams and stuff. But it's also nuts that mm-hmm. had to, to do that where others don't. Yeah, that's a key difference. Um, For most Black wine entrepreneurs, they're the first generation. Um, There are a few that I can think of offhand that are second or third generation, but that's maybe like two out of the 100. Um, So most of these, um, especially when it comes to wineries, so actual winemakers, um, they're first generation. So they are not having this handed down like from the Mondavis or the other famous wine names that we hear. They're not, you know, the fourth or fifth or sixth generation. They're starting from scratch. And so, you know, having to self-fund or ask family and friends um, presents a challenge, but also going to try to access capital from the traditional venues like banks is also problematic as we know. Um, I'm sure um, you and others are aware of, you know, the disparities that happen even when uh, folks try to get home loans or do appraisals. And it's one price or one estimate for the black family versus the white family. And it's the exact same home. So those same disparities are also occurring when they're trying to get funding. And so, you know, thank goodness that they had the resilience and wherewithal to um, find other sources, uh, but that should not have to be the case. There should be greater support, um, definitely within the industry and and elsewhere for these entrepreneurs. For talking diversity in the wine industry, why do you think that that's important? Why not just keep kind of trucking along with the families that are kind of entrenched and mm-hmm. you know that they all kind of look the same? Why is it Mm -hmm. important, especially now, for us to diversify the wine industry? Yeah, so from a personal perspective, um, I think we all should have access to the beauty of it. I think we all should um, have an opportunity to understand wine, engage with the industry, feel comfortable there, and then make the decision whether it's for us or not, rather than having it be ascribed that this is or is not for you. We should have access um, to try it out and see. It's not going to be for everyone, but for some folks, they will enjoy it. For some, they will find a career. Some will be able to open their own business, whether it's a cafe or a a wine shop. You know, it just deserves, we deserve to have that equity. Now, from a professional and kind of marketing consultant side, um, I would say because it's important because otherwise the industry is leaving money on the table. Um, So if you don't feel the moral imperative to do it, then you should be listening and hearing that there's this huge financial imperative. And thankfully it's not um, only myself saying it, but you have these major 
um, thought leaders in wine also recognizing that um, the demographics of the country are shifting. Right. As you get uh, the, the baby boomers are getting older and may have less uh, discretionary income. So now you have to look at Gen X, Y, and Z. Once you get to the millennials and Gen Z, they are much more diverse than ever. Uh, many of them come from multicultural backgrounds. Um, so you have to start engaging if you want your business to survive. Um, so it's not even a question more anymore of, you know, is it the right thing to do? It's a survival tactic that you're going to have to engage consumers of different backgrounds, different races, um, socioeconomic statuses, uh, you know, orientations, just the whole gamut. It's time to just open it up and be open um, to letting this experience be for a diverse group of consumers. Right. And so is that actually happening? Like, do I know you kind of covered this a little bit in your research? Like, do white entrepreneurs actually feel like the industry is diversifying, even if it's just drip by drip? <laughs> yeah. I would say that there was definitely, from the survey as well as the interviews, some cautious and very cautious optimism. Um, but it's one of those things that time will tell. And that's why I'm excited to uh, revisit with these entrepreneurs and hopefully some new ones and see for those who I've already interviewed what has changed in the year and a half since I spoke with them. Um, but I think there is conscious optimism. Um, there's definitely a sense of we don't want this to just be one moment in time. We want there to be a clear support for um, uh, supporting black wine and black, black wine makers and black wine entrepreneurs. Um, all of the promises that we saw made, I just gave a talk the other day highlighting a Washington Post article that um, indicated about $50 million was promised or committed um, not just to the wine industry, but you know more broadly to by corporations to support um, black businesses and reform. And so, you know, here we are almost two years um, to the month since George Floyd's death. I think it's gonna be a critical time to reflect and see what has changed, where have those dollars gone? Um, in that article that was written, it made the point that even though these large commitments were made, um, some of them were kind of self-serving, <laughs> so they were pledging these funds, but ultimately it was going to benefit uh, the the pledger yeah. um, to some degree. So we have to be careful about that, and we have to, you know, just stay um, aware and keep spreading the word, just like you're doing. Just keep building the awareness that brands and that these winemakers and professionals exist, and that we can all do our part to support them. That's such a good point about the accountability piece. Because mm -hmm. if it was cool two years ago or whatever to put up the black mm -hmm. square or to say, you know, we stand with and whatever, but like, where are we? Like, what did you actually do? And I think a lot of industries, to your point, are seeing that like a lot of promises were made that 
maybe mm-hmm. hadn't been fulfilled and you know maybe mm-hmm. moved on to the next thing so that that is a, a good point it sounds like you will help to hold them accountable with ongoing research so there's there's going to be more that's coming out right you mentioned you want to like yeah. dive deeper into some of these other topics yeah i definitely want to um run the survey again make it shorter lesson learned it was a very long survey <laughs> that probably lost people in the mix so make it shorter and more um, accessible so folks can get through it um so do that and hopefully capture some new voices in that survey who may have begun their businesses since then it seems like just about once a week i'm learning about another uh black wine brand or enterprise so i'm excited to get these new voices in the mix as well uh, but also revisiting some of the folks from before in those in-depth interviews um, and just seeing, just to your point, how have things changed? Have they changed in a way that's impactful to them? Um, I am happy to see that there's a lot more scholarships available um, to kind of get that age group, that segment aware that this is a career path for them, an educational path for them. Um, I'm happy to see groups like Napa Valley Vintners, um, who I actually worked with through Unforked and Cultured to host the first Juneteenth experience in Napa, um, which was amazing because as you probably know, during that time, it was recognized as a federal holiday while we were there in Napa. Uh, so that was just meaningful. So I think, you know, the brands and the organizations who want to step up and want to be supportive will do the, you know, extra two or three steps it will take to um, to engage and do the work. Um, and for others, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I think, you know, wait and see and, hold, and, and just reflect on the promises and keep them accountable, like you said. So with... With research, and I don't know, I need a chance to look. Is there a lot mm-hmm. of research done just in general on the wine industry, and there's just not a lot done on, like, you know, the black portion of that? Mm-hmm. Or is there not even a lot of research like yours done on the industry as a whole? So there is a lot of data, particularly, you know, in contemporary business, there's data everywhere. So there's a lot of research. Um, on the wine industry, there's lots of reports and um, state of the wine business uh, events that occur. Um, I got to recently participate at the um, Wine Market Council where they talked about consumers of color particularly. Um, so there's there's many different research arms related to wine. However, it's only recently that I'm starting to see this focus on consumers of color or other underrepresented consumers. Um, But at the same time, I hear from folks like some of my mentors now that there there are these waves, like, you know, in the 90s, I hear that they were talking about diversity a bit more, and then it kind of fades away. So I think that's what people are, are kind of cautiously optimistic about, like, yeah, we've been here before, but can we make it stick this time? Can we really see something transformative happen? But yeah, there's a lot of research um, and data available. Um, but I, as far as academic 
study of this topic, I was only able to find one study, and it was from 2014, so less than 10 years ago, and it was on uh, consumers. So far, I haven't seen um, other research on entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs in wine. Um, so hopefully that'll change. Hopefully we'll start to see more. <laughs> yeah, it makes me wonder if like the attention on it comes in waves. I wonder if consumption comes in waves. So I wonder mm -hmm. if kind of the black community, maybe there's, you know, there was a lot of consumption and then maybe it went down to not and now it's back up. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, it might not even be that deep. It might've just been, you know, something happened. Maybe something like that happened. They were like, oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Drove it like this time. I think that's a great point. There are these watershed moments that get our attention and get us all talking about, you know, that at the same time. Um, but I don't want another person to have to lose their life or be brutalized or whatever for us to, you know, start doing the right thing. Um, so yeah, I think consumption does go in waves. I'm actually going to be um, presenting on the topic of low and no alcohol wine um, this summer. So now, yeah, there is this kind of focus on drinking wine, you know, non-alcoholic wine, or low alcohol, or the healthiest version, or the natural version, the organic version. <laughs> so, you know, there's all these other layers now um, to consider. Um, but I just heard about a book called Drunk, and it came out 2021. And it talks about what you're talking about, kind of these cycles of consumption, like going from prohibition, uh, which actually spurred lots a lot more wine drinking among groups who hadn't drank before <laughs> um, to kind of this, you know, just these different waves. It, it's kind of just, it goes along with the culture. So I'm sure that also impacted Black consumers as well. Yeah. So 15 years down the road, um, what do you think the wine industry is going to look like? What do, you, what do you hope it looks like? And what do you think it will actually look like if those are two different things? Um, I think, well, I'll tell you what I hope. And I think they're probably very close. Um, I think that it'll be a more embedded part of American culture. I think it won't just be like a celebratory thing. I think we'll... Um, discover some additional benefits and start incorporating wine, like health benefits, and start incorporating wine instead of some of the other less healthy options that we have. Um, I can see it just being a part of our everyday lives and not restricted to just a celebration or an occasion, but really embedded. And I think it'll be more accessible to more people. I think more people will be aware um, so yeah, and I think there will be many more options. I think there will be more diversity, um, both in the makers, the consumers, the retailers, the distributors. Um, I think it really has to, it can only go up, right? <laughs> I think that 
it seems like where we are now, there isn't really any going back to your point. It's like, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I'm going to go look up this book because I'm actually very curious about yeah. the waves of like consumption. Yes. Um, yeah. So what do you think, what should we all do um, mm-hmm. to kind of get us to your vision? And I like in your, um, in your report, you kind of end with breaking it down, like what each person could do. Mm-hmm. So tell us, mm-hmm. as a consumer, mm-hmm. is there anything, you know, aspiring a black wine entrepreneur should be doing mm-hmm. and what should mm-hmm. other existing kind of traditional companies be doing to get us to your vision? Yeah. Well, I think as consumers, we can definitely um, use our financial power to support these wine uh, brands and wine labels. Um, you know, if you're going to be out and buying some type of alcohol or wine anyway, you know, there since we do have this attention now, sometimes even portions of retail stores will show you these are made by mm-hmm. underrepresented minorities. Um, so you can look out for those or ask the, the retail shop. If you're at a restaurant and you know a particular brand um, by a person of color that you like, we have that power to say, when I come to this restaurant, I want to have this wine. And if enough people share their voice and make that demand, they will bring it in um, because it benefits them too, of course. Um, so we can use our power, we can use our voices, we can just be a little bit more mindful in our consumption overall and, you know, look for these brands and incorporate them into our kind of repertoire. Um, from a corporate side, I think um, knowledge and awareness is a first step. Um, so reading things like my report or just engaging more on diversity and equity issues. Um, you know, getting a sense of, you know, what is really happening outside of your walls. And that's for all of us, because we all tend to just live in our bubbles and have the experiences that we have. But, you know, trying to open yourself up a bit more and understand others' experiences. Um, also, on the corporate side, mentorship. Um, so as these new entrants um, come, if there's an ability for you to be a mentor, either just you know, on your own or as part of some corporate initiative, that's a fantastic opportunity to to support um, the effort and the diversity in wine. So there's, I I like the idea of just doing what you can. It doesn't have to be donating a million dollars. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, making these grand strides, but I think each of us can just engage in our own way. And I like some of the things that I'm seeing with the immersive experiences um, so I actually, I mentioned Lodi earlier, and I serve on the, the Lodi Appalachian Inclusion Collective. So the Lodi Appalachian Inclusion Collective, and that's in partnership with the Roots Fund. And that allows, you know, aspiring wine professionals to get a real-life experience in the vineyard, um, in the cellar room, blending wine, I mean, the marketing and financials behind it. It gives them this experience to see the different opportunities that they have online. They can learn what they like, learn what they don't like. And the Lodi region is such an incredible place. I think, you know, if they wanted to pursue it further, they will have this network of support to really help them. So I like those kind of more one-to-one, 
you know, really getting in the weeds type of experiences. I know that's not really scalable um, right now, but it makes such an impact. Just them mm-hmm. putting people to work, right? It's hands-on experiences, mm-hmm. and I, I can see the value in that. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So I know you do other stuff. You just mentioned this other kind of like work that you're doing. What else do you do kind of as Wine Bell? I know you're also a consultant. Tell us about some mm-hmm. of that, that other work. Yeah, so all of this is just really bubbling up based upon the research, and I never could have foreseen this, but I'm so thankful for the opportunities that I have had. Um, So one area that I work in is with Uncorked and Cultured, um, and that's a media uh, and lifestyle brand where we develop content on the intersection of culture, um, people of color, and wine. So... Um, I serve as chief of insights and partnerships there. That um, venture has been the host of the State of the Black Wine business, which we'll be producing again, hopefully in August, which is Black um, Black Business Month. Um, also produced the Latinx Wine Summit in partnership with Hispanics and Wine um, last fall as well. Um, so just uh, initiatives like that, um, just trying to bridge culture and wine together and make it more accessible, have great events and things like that. Um, Under the Wine Bell umbrella, I have kind of two audiences. On the consumer side, um, I like to create wine experiences here in Northern California, Central Valley, um, and just take in all of the wine culture that is around us. You you don't really think of it um, as that, but there's so much grape and great history here. Um, in the Central Valley. So providing those experiences. I hope to evolve into a mobile wine bar. So I'll be able to support events and share the love of wine at different different events and celebrations. And then ultimately I would love to have a full wine salon, a brick and mortar establishment that again, just provides kind of a respite for people of color and all people of backgrounds to come together and enjoy wine. On the business side, you know, just sharing my research, doing speaking engagements, and um, just supporting diversity and equity and inclusion however I can. Uh, so that's more on the business side. Okay. Well, we're manifesting this wine salon in the mobile unit. <laughs> so other than, other than you and all the wine things that you have kind of coming up, are there any mm-hmm. other um, wine entrepreneurs that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. are a little lesser known that we should be mm-hmm. an eye out for. You know what? That's, oh, there's too many to name. And I think that is such a great, wonderful, fantastic thing yeah. that, you yeah. know, whatever you're interested, whatever your region is, um, your identity, your level of knowledge, there are um, people out there that you can follow and engage with. So there's a full tapestry of different um, influencers, educators, experts that you can engage with. I would probably um, highlight the Association of African American Vintners as a first start if you're thinking about starting a wine business because they are the originators. Um, they're celebrating 20 years 
actually next month in Napa and Oakland. Um, so you can join the 20th anniversary symposium if you're able to come out here to California and engage with those folks. These are the folks who are the entrepreneurs who I spoke with. Many of the subjects for my interviews are members of this organization. So that would be a great first start. Um, I've also been really interested in the wine mistress out of uh, Colorado. Um, I got to know her through the Batonage Mentorship Forum. Um, so she's been at this um, wine expertise, judging, traveling, ambassadorship. Um, so she's a great person to follow. Um, and like I said, there's just so many. If you just do a search and if there's something that's near and dear to you, whether it's um, a region that you live in or what, an aspect of your identity, um, certain music that you like, other parts of culture, you will find um, that there are folks in your tribe that you can connect with. So, and I think that's just really wonderful. Absolutely. Um, it's funny that you said wine educators. So I think I don't always think of them as being like mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. I just, mm -hmm. especially with like how social media is, you can follow a lot of these people who are mm -hmm. dropping gems all the time. Yes. Um, you know, you don't have to pay for a W set sometimes if you're just curious and just learning. Like, you literally can go on Instagram yeah. and follow some of these wine educators who are great yeah. because they also help make the information culturally relevant for us. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it, it feels like community. It's people who experience yep. wine and might have the same questions you do and maybe yep. they don't know what chalk tastes like or lost in your like tasting notes. But, right. you know, or the food pairings, like just finding mm -hmm. somebody who looks like you or has the same experience. That's, I always, I don't always forget about wine educators, but they really are. Yeah. I mean, they're a business. That is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I found it very valuable to be a part of the Hughes Society. Mm -hmm. um, so there's chapters springing up all over. Um, I know one just launched or is launching in Philadelphia, my old stopping grounds. I'm, I'm so, um, <laughs> so I, I need them going to let me in. Because to our earlier point, like community, I mean, it's so mm -hmm. important. And so mm -hmm. I'm talking about these societies. Yeah. yeah. So it's an, it's an amazing time to get into wine, whether you want to dip your toe in or just fully, you know, dive off the diving board. It's up to you. But this is a great time to get into it. And if you do want to do some more formal education, I don't know that there's been a better time to pursue it. There's there's so many resources, and I wish I could just share more and more and more so people are aware, but there's scholarships, um, again, through the AAAV, through um, uh, the Napa Valley Wine Academy, through UNCF. So, you know, if you have an interest, I say go for it. Um, there's never been a better time, in my opinion, to, you know, pursue and have financial support. Absolutely. We're going to end on that that wonderful note for everybody to dip your toe in or jump right in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Before we go, is there anything else about your personal wine story that we mm. should that we should know? Other than to watch out for the mobile wine unit that's coming soon. Yes. Um. 
I don't know, just um, follow me at the wine bell, wine with a Y, because why not? On Instagram, um, and an E at the end. My last name does not have an E at the end, but my handle does. So it's the wine bell with an E. Um, so just keep following me there. Um, and through this process, um, I learned more about my ancestry. So my mom's dad was actually a Cooper. And I had no idea what that was. I thought it was just a last name. It's the people who make barrels. So the, whatever. Yes, yes. So I learned about that connection. And then I also learned that on my dad's side, going back a few generations, it's rumored that, you know, his granddad used to make a little wine at home. <laughs> Like you said, like we've been making wine for you know, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. all, all the time. You might have been able to find it in the store on the shelf, or you might have just you know, got it from your neighbor or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we've always been there. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. We look forward to watching more of the data come out uh, mm -hmm. for your adventures in wine. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Yeah.